the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Today, we're going to talk about the Democratic Party and whether it has an opportunity to expand its voter base by appealing more directly to voters in rural areas. Should the party most associated with big cities and multi-ethnic coalitions be more focused on mostly white rural voters whom they have been losing for decades? We're going to hear an argument that says how and why. That's next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. If I say the word Democrat, what kind of voters pop into your mind? I'm guessing it's a family of people of color, perhaps, living in a big city, trying to scratch out a little more opportunity for themselves and their communities. Or maybe it's a suburban woman, a fierce advocate for reproductive and other rights. Or a union member dedicated to the idea of higher wages and fair working conditions. But let me tell you what almost certainly did not pop into your mind. A small town family living in western Michigan, one that worries about things like national security or the country's changing demographics. You probably didn't think about a farmer who lives in northern Michigan who's trying to figure out how to keep the family farm going. Democrats have an issue. If you look at any national or state political map, you'll see the same trend Every time, everywhere. The more people are clustered into cities, the more likely they are to vote Democrat. And the more likely they are to be dispersed into smaller communities, the more likely they are to vote Republican. And nationally, this has devastating consequences for the Democrats. Because of the way our population is distributed and the way our government is structured, the Republican rural advantage means they don't really have to compete to win a majority of voters, either for the presidency or for control of much of Congress. They can play to a really narrow rural white minority, hold their own in a small number of more urban places, and maintain control. They can keep power. But if Democrats were able to win more rural voters, just chip away at that advantage, they could get them excited about some issues. That could change everything. Democrats would win much more of the time, and they wouldn't struggle to get their agenda enacted when they do win. There are more people in this country who identify as Democrats and independents than Republicans. And yet our politics, our government, is really closely divided because of the way population is distributed and this rural white advantage that Republicans hold. So the question is, could Democrats actually change that? Are urban and rural lives so fundamentally different that Democrats couldn't connect with people in both spaces? And if they spent more time trying to woo rural voters or change their positions on issues to appeal more to those voters, would they risk losing too much of their urban base? In short, are we too polarized for a political party to bridge the urban-rural gap in this country? Cal Muniz argues that we're not. 
He's an assistant professor at Utah Valley University and author of a piece entitled Go Local, Young Democrat, How Nationalization of Everything is Widening the Urban-Rural Divide and What Democrats Can Do About It. We start the conversation today with Professor Muniz. Welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So I'm going to start here. Why can't Democrats just say, yeah, these are voters that are beyond our reach. They don't make up that much of the American population. They are shrinking in number. We're going to concentrate on the growth. We're going to concentrate on cities and urban areas where more people are concentrated. Why do Democrats need to even think about rural voters? Yeah, thanks, Sue. So this is a great question. Um, and so if we lived in a unitary system of government, um, this, this, uh, the, the answer to this question would be relatively simple, right? That Democrats don't have to worry about um, that. But we don't live in a unitary system of government. We live in a federal system of government, um, uh, a federal system of government in which geography or, uh, um, representation within Congress in our other legislative institutions is apportioned geographically. And um, so, yes, while Rural voters, uh, rural Americans comprise uh, roughly 20% of the population, actually a little under that, um, and it's, de- it's uh, actually decreased um, since uh, 2010. Um, if you look at the change between 2010 and 2020, um, the, the rural voters uh, make up a declining share of the population in the electorate. However, um, that's when you look at the United States as a whole, right? The problem uh, for Democrats and why you can't just ignore uh, rural voters is that they make out in a disproportionately large um, or outsized share, if you will, of the votes in many states. And um, of course, that's very relevant um, for uh, the U.S. Senate when we look nationally. Um, but it also matters, right, for the the lives of individuals and the politics of uh, all these various states within those states, within state legislatures. Hmm. Um, And so uh, Democrats um, simply cannot uh, afford to ignore rural voters um, because of the political geographical realities of living in a federal system like ours. Hmm. So I I also want to go back a little bit in time. It seems to me that there was a time that places like Kansas were pretty blue uh, in favor of Democrats. Uh, the, the, the Midwest, the, the large agricultural states in the American Midwest were much more uh, open to the message of the Democratic Party. Um, the UP here in Michigan once was uh, a very blue place and now is much more Republican. So uh, let's talk about what happened and why Democrats find themselves in the position of having to reappeal to those voters uh, when for, for many years uh, those voters were, were part of the Democratic coalition. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You are totally correct on that. And in fact, um, you know, for many, I suspect for many of your listeners, right, uh, these are time periods that they likely remember very well, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So you don't have to go very far back at all, um, just to the early 90s. Um, In the early 90s, knowing where someone lived on the urban-rural continuum told you next to nothing about how they would vote. Right. That is right. If you were trying to predict, is this person a Democratic voter or a Republican voter, knowing if they lived in a rural area or a small town or a suburb or a city um, would not have been a valuable piece of information for you in predicting their vote. Um, and today, right, by the, the standards of today, um, that is rather shocking. Um, and so <clears throat> I think, you know, key to understanding what happens is that in the mid-90s, American politics takes a pretty abrupt shift toward um, cultural issues. And so I'm talking about, you know, the American political discourse and um, 
this this change, this shift of focusing more on you know on cultural issues rather than economic issues, um, you know, can be attributed, I think, uh, to the to the Republican Party and in particular to to Newt Gingrich. And I think this is to their credit. Right? I think that at some point uh, the Republicans had a um, uh, come to Jesus moment, if you will about um, the reality that they were facing, that most people across the country, whether you're talking about urban areas or rural areas, are not particularly um, um, enthusiastic about these very abstract conservative economic ideologies. But right, what, they, uh, what you can appeal to these voters on hmm. are uh, conservative, um, perhaps social issues. And so leaning really heavily into that um, um, really started to shift the electoral landscape uh, literally and figuratively. Yeah. And let's be clear. When we say cultural issues, one of the things we're really talking about here is race and demographics. One of the things that happens in the 1990s is that uh, the the country really starts to change and uh, you you get an explosion of black voters uh, showing up at polls, uh, partially on the strength of uh, the, the the change in the law in the 60s. Uh, that takes some time to to start to get more African American voters out. Um, but you also have this influx of people from other countries, brown people uh, from other countries, who become part of the Democratic coalition and. Uh, the tensions uh, between those populations and rural white uh, voters become uh, a centerpiece, I guess, of of the divide between those two places. Yeah, I think that that's that's definitely fair, and and I think and it's a, um, I mean, what you're describing is just descriptively true, right? I mean, it's it's just a fact. Um, when you look at, for example, things like immigration in the, in the United States. And this is something I like to point out to my students in classes. You know, my my father is 62 years old, um, and so I think he's probably you know he would be around the same age as many of my students' grandfathers, right? <laughs> right? And I like to tell my students that you know when my dad was going to high school um, in the seven in the late 70s, and um, you know in his early you know young adulthood. Most of the immigrants in the United States were uh, uh, coming from Europe still at that point, right? Mm -hmm. But it it really starts to change. Um, Immigration um, starts to change quite dramatically in the 90s and accelerates into the 21st century. And um, and why is this relevant? Well, it's relevant because, right, it uh, is as you mentioned, right? It it sort of leads in some respects right to the uh, what some people have referred to as like the browning of america but what it but it that opens the door right for because because you know people notice this in their communities it's being discussed uh, in the news media it opens the door for um enterprising republican politicians right <laughs> to uh raise the political salience of this issue and use it as a wedge issue right whereas before um it uh, was wasn't quite the conditions just weren't really right to even make it um, a political issue. So I, I think that that's those are both really good points. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm talking with uh, Cal Muniz. He's an assistant professor of political science at Utah Valley University and author of a new piece in the journal Democracy that's titled "Go Local, Young Democrat: How Nationalization of Everything Is Widening the Urban-Rural Divide and What Democrats Can Do About It." talking about the Democratic Party and its relationship to rural voters, people who live outside of big urban areas like southeast Michigan, maybe live in western Michigan, northern Michigan in the UP, and why they don't relate to the Democratic message uh, and how Democrats could appeal more to those voters, something that would make uh, their success, uh, their electoral success nationally, more certain and more powerful. Uh, we would love to hear from you during the conversation as well. Uh, talk about 
the overlapping values and policy goals of rural and urban voters. Uh, do you think there is an overlap uh, among those voters? Do you think the Democratic Party would be doing itself a favor by focusing more intently on ways to get rural voters, mostly white rural voters, uh, to vote for, for their candidates, uh, to, to have a stronger hold on rural areas? Uh, give us a call and let us know if you grew up in a rural area or if you live in one now, talk about your political priorities and whether the Democratic Party is uh, appealing to you. Uh, do you have friends or family members that live in rural areas? What do they tell you about how they make uh, choices at the ballot box? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we can work you into the conversation that way. Um, I want to I want to talk just a little about the um, the, the strategy here, uh, Cal, and and the tension uh, that comes up when when people discuss this issue between appealing to urban voters and, and, and appealing to, to rural voters. A lot of people will say, look, Democrats have the future in their hands, right? They've, they've got the, the, the parts of the country that are growing, uh, and eventually uh, that, will, that will provide them with a more solid majority and more control. Um, uh, if they were to pivot and try to appeal more to these rural voters, they might alienate the, the, the voters that they already have. In other words, the, by changing their position or even by changing their tone on certain issues, uh, they might be saying to these urban voters, hey, we're really not about you. Now, of course, those voters are unlikely to go and vote Republican, but the fear often is that they just won't vote at all, that, uh, that turnout is such an issue. Uh, in urban areas. Uh, so talk about that tension and uh, how you see Democrats addressing that if they were to if they were to attempt something like this. Yeah, so um, I, I think, yeah, so there's, there is a clear tension here. Um, I do like that you right that you that you brought up that um, Democrats are doing quite well in the areas of the country that are um, sort of uh, growing the most, uh, uh, whether that be you know, population-wise or economically, right? And and that's um, you know, if you're a Democrat, I think that's uh, that's that's um, rather encouraging. Um, the and the the problem, right? Though again, is you know, we we need to come back and uh, uh, back down to reality and think about our. Um, our various institutions in this country, um, you know, first and foremost is federalism and the way that uh, uh, representation is apportioned in Congress, particularly the upper chamber, also known as the U.S. Senate, right? Um, So while it is true that, you know, certain areas, uh, you know, blue areas, uh, democratic areas um, are continuing to grow um, and, you know, maybe you'll get more and more votes there and then, you know, perhaps in 2020, or in 2028, right, Democratic candidates will continue to, right, you know, break records in terms of the sheer number of votes that they're getting for the presidency, right? That's, that's all true. That'll probably happen. But um, it might not really matter, right, if you're not winning um, um, Senate seats, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, uh, right, so there, I think there is a need to to try to uh, do better um, in in some of these states that um, are disproportionately rural. So my home state of Montana, I think, is one uh, area where um, you know Democrats uh, uh, are not um, totally um, wiped out there. Um, it is uh, somewhat competitive, um, but Democrats need to do better to win these types of states. And I think the way that they do so, um, in a way that avoids um, that avoids alienating their base, is you know kind of at a high level. I think Democrats need to come up with a 50-state strategy, right? Um, 
There, this is a large, expansive country that is very diverse, um, and you need um, a expansive, uh, diverse list uh, list of strategies and tactics to try to win over voters. As, as a result of that, you can't just do a one size fits all approach. Um, that might help you net a lot of votes overall in the country, but it's not going to. Again, it's not going to allow you to win. Um, specific states that have very different, for example, demographic makeups mm-hmm. from one another. So you need that 50-state strategy. I also think that embracing um, um, what you know, sort of often is credited to Stacey Abrams of Georgia, right? This sort of these sort of deeper, deeper sort of canvassing and organizing strategies is also really useful, right? Is that is you need people on the ground in these communities all across the country um, um, to be able to translate democratic priorities into the language of people on the ground, to be able to explain, you know, when, I mean, this is an extreme example, right? But like when someone talks about the Green New Deal, like what does that actually mean? What would that mean in the context of this community, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so there needs to be that translation. Um, But, 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 Getting a little bit more specific, uh, um, I think Democrats need to allow some degree of flexibility um, when it comes to these key sort of cultural issues, things like guns, Mm. right? Um, So, you know, the way that Democrats talk about guns in South Dakota should be very different from how they talk about guns in Illinois versus Maryland, et cetera. Um, and I think that's that's something that Democratic uh, donors need to sort of uh, come to, to come to grips with. It's something that Democratic consultants um, and strategists need to come to grips with. But that's not the full story, right? Um, I, you know, you're not going to sort of outgun the Republicans on guns, right? <laughs> right. You just you can't do it. Um, you know, so I'm not. I, what I'm not recommending here is that Democrats just try to become Republicans. Um, no, that's not it. I do think that there needs to be some flexibility again for unorthodox positions um, on on some of these cultural issues, depending you know, on a constituency by constituency basis. But the key, in the, and so and this is where, this is what I think helps resolve the tension, is that I recommend, um, as does my co-author Rob Saldine, um, on some of these pieces we've been working on, that Democrats focus on local issues, right? Local issues, particular issues, every constituency has them, every state has them, but every you know congressional district has them, every state legislative district has them, every community has these issues that are highly important and salient to people on the ground, but that don't map onto the national political discourse, right? So right. you're not going to turn on Fox News at night and hear about, right, the asbestos problem um, facing Libby, Montana, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Rachel Maddow's probably not going to do a segment on that. They're not going to talk a lot about it in the Washington Post and the New York Times. But these are really important issues to people on the ground. And I think that how Democrats can try to um, make some inroads in these areas that they've sort of ceded to Republicans over the last 20 years is to try to identify, be creative, be entrepreneurial, identify these issues that are of high importance to people on the ground, but that do not map onto the uh, national partisan discourse and to really hammer those and, um, um, and show, right. That'll help build trust. um, But it also just sort of disrupts that, sort of typical narrative um, that doesn't work for uh, Democrats in most most areas of the country, yeah. geographically yeah. speaking. Yeah. Okay. Coming up, we're going to continue this conversation about Democrats and rural voters. We want to hear from you on the phones, 313-577-1019, and on social media, Facebook and Twitter. We'll get to your comments and questions next with Jerry and Ed in Detroit, Aaron and Jefferson Chalmers. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Our guest right now is Cal Muniz, an assistant professor of political science at Utah Valley University. He's author of a new piece in the journal Democracy titled Go Local, Young Democrat, How Nationalization of Everything is Widening the Urban-Rural Divide and what Democrats can do about it. We're talking about how Democrats can appeal to more rural voters and whether they should, whether they should be concerned about uh, the Republican lock or near-Republican lock on rural places. Think of the way votes break down here in the state of Michigan. You have these very bright blue spots in urban places like Detroit or Lansing or Muskegon, and the rest of the state, which is much more rural, is much redder. Uh, should Democrats really be thinking about ways to to uh, take the edge off of uh, those differences and make more rural voters really think about what uh, what Democrats have to offer them? Uh, we want to talk uh, with you about these uh, issues as well. Call and tell us whether you think Democrats should be appealing to rural voters and how you think Democrats could appeal to rural voters. We especially want to hear from folks who live in rural areas. Uh, What do you think of the Democratic Party's message? Does it appeal to you? Uh, Do you feel like it is for someone else? Is it for people in places like Detroit and not for you? Call and tell us why. Call and tell us what might change your mind or make you more open at least to the idea that uh, Democrats deserve your vote. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and to Twitter and put uh, comments there, and we can work you into the conversation. I want to start today with Jerry in Detroit. Jerry, welcome to the program. Um, Good morning, Stephen and Cal. Hey. Um, As um, being an African American, as far as um, you know, demographics and politics is concerned, um, I personally really don't think that the Democratic Party can can waste any time on on you know white rural voters who dare dare I say typically have a hostility and again dare I say a hatred of those whose skin color isn't white like theirs. I mean, especially dealing with issues like. Um, Issues like, um, you know, you know, critical race theory and um, LGBTQ Q issues and things like that, um, because those those voters, those white voters tend to be dead set on their ideas about about people of color. And I was wondering what you um, what you think of that. And I, and I have a feeling that there, there are going to be some white rural voters who are going to call and and probably trash me for daring to say that. <laughs> I hope not, Jerry, uh, but, but we'll see. Uh, I, I think it's a really provocative question, and we were talking earlier about the role that race plays in this divide. Uh, this is a really specific question, though, Cal. Uh, does white resentment of places where African Americans and Latinos and uh, other people who are part of the changing demographic of the country. Does that resentment play a specific role here in, um, in the tension that, that would prevent Democrats, even if they did the things that you're talking about, um, localizing issues, being very specific with these voters? Is, that, is race just a block, I guess, uh, to the idea of whom the Democratic Party is serving and trying to help. I think this is a good one. Um, I, I, so what, so what, what I would say, so it's, um, it, it's, it's, it's clearly true that, um, and so we, we know this from public opinion research. Um, we've, you know, there's been a lot of efforts to um, identify the linkage between, for example, racial resentment and uh, partisan political preferences, vote choice, um, uh, lots of different things. And, um, and that is a, a, a clear piece of the puzzle um, when you're talking about um, American politics as a whole. In fact, it's a major piece. And it's also um, a major piece of the puzzle even when you're talking just more narrowly about 
the urban um, rural divide, but it's not um, the the only piece. And so uh, I do a lot of research on this myself. And in all of my research, it you you certainly do find right that um, when you're trying to explain the urban rural divide, um, racial prejudice um, is a significant predictor of that. And once you um, sort of uh, control for so this is sort of getting into statistics. I'm not going. I won't go into the full details and bore folks. But once you include things like racial prejudice in models of voter behavior, um, yeah, that divide between urban and rural areas shrinks a lot. Hmm. Um, but if you, um, it's it doesn't account for all of the divide. It doesn't account for all of the variation. Another sig- significant component of this is um, this, this sort of geographic resentment where, I mean, rural area, a lot of rural voters um, believe, you know, and, and whether or not uh, this is true in fact, right, um, is sort of irrelevant. It's, if, if they believe it, that's what matters because that's, you know, people's behavior is based on their beliefs. And a lot of rural voters feel that rural areas have been left behind, looked down on, denigrated, um, for uh, a long for for a long while now, hmm. um, and so there's this geographic resentment, and people and, and rural voters sort of as see the government as um, being um, you know the you know who's who's doing the looking down on and, and and leaving behind, and the Democratic Party is sort of seen as the party of government, and so you know that that's a problem there. That association is a problem. Um, and so I think, you know, Democrats do need to try to disrupt that a bit by showing that they care about rural areas and their particular wants um, and needs. But I, I do want to speak really quickly. Um, um, just Jerry brought up something that I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, you brought up uh, critical race theory and, um, you know, and how that's been sort of weaponized mm-hmm. um, by Republicans as it relates to schools um, across the country. And so um, I think that Democrats um, in rural areas should be um, fighting back um, on this because, you know, historically, Democrats, this has been an area where Democrats have enjoyed um, favor um, amongst um, a majority of uh, of Americans in, in, in not just in urban areas, right? Most people historically have said, okay, yeah, when it comes to education, I trust Democrats more with education. They're the party of education. They understand it more. They're better at it. Um, um, But Republicans have sort of disrupted that with CRT. I think Democrats can go local, especially in rural areas, to combat this by saying, well, this Republican Party is increasingly um, bullish on the idea that we should be um, diverting public funds away from public schools and toward charter schools. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that argument just does not work in um, rural areas. There are no charter schools in rural areas. There are no private academies in rural areas. And in fact, in rural areas, in many cases, you know, and we're talking about the real small towns here, um, uh, the, the the public schools are often the only institution around, yes. right? I mean, and, and people have a lot of pride vested in their local school system and their local high school and their high school sport team, and right? Um, and I think Democrats could go local and on, on, on schools to try to reclaim that um, and push back against this, uh, the Republicans um, on, on this issue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jerry, really appreciate uh, the call and the really great question. Um, let's go next to Ed in Detroit. Ed, welcome to the show. I'm glad your guest brought up the uh, Stacey Abrams because she's doing, it seems to me, at a state level, what Governor Dean proposed doing when he was chair of the party a number of years ago. Hmm. And that is he wanted to organize the Democratic Party at every county and district level. He recognized that even in the reddest parts of the country, there are open and secret Democrats. And you need to have a structure that they can repair to, to organize around, to to build the party. Hmm. The other point that I'd like to make is uh, I'm recalling something a senior Michigan Republican said to me, oh, about 30 years ago, pointed out that that there are similarities between the problems that exist in rural Michigan 
and in our cities, in particular, he was talking about Detroit. And he said that, that no one in either rural Michigan or in urban Michigan has recognized that and found ways to bridge uh, the, the, the space. That senior Republican was none other than John Engler. Mm. I, I don't think he and his politics did much to bridge that space. But at least privately, you know, in a private conversation, he recognized that there was something there. And if one of the parties did something to bridge it, they might find success. Mm. And, uh, and I think your guess is right, that there is an opportunity for the Democrats to bridge that gap, the geographic gap and cultural gap, and find gold in the form of Democratic voters out there where too many, certainly urban Democrats, yeah. have said there are no Democratic voters. Yeah. I'll listen to your guest on the air. Uh, uh, great great points and uh, great references there. Uh, Cal Muniz, respond to what Ed's saying. Yeah, so um, I think that those are really good points. Um, so uh, the, the caller is absolutely right. Um, when you, you know, we, when we think about um, uh, political geography in this country, and when we think about rural areas and how they vote, and urban areas and how they vote, uh, you know, something that I think many of us are, you know, sort of do is we exaggerate the extent to which um, one party dominates these areas, and so. For example, I think many people would be shocked to find out that, yeah, roughly a third of rural voters in 2020 voted for Joe Biden for president. Mm -hmm. um, right. Roughly a third. Uh, and so um, I think, you know, you can imagine how much higher could that percentage be if there was more of an effort to sort of court rural voters because you have to kind of imagine right well how many how many of those rural democrats potential rural democratic votes stayed home because they figured well you know i live in a rural area um i live in a rural state uh you know it, it just it doesn't even matter right mm -hmm. um or, or how many sort of independent voters who who stayed home that might be uh, open to voting for democrats didn't show up and vote because democrats weren't even contesting these spaces Right. So um, I, I find um, encouragement in the fact that um, Democrats are able to do as well as they are doing in rural areas with um, very uh, little effort to court rural voters. Um, and 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 I and I and I also appreciate um, the caller recognizing that. Um, Stacey Abrams and the great work that she's doing in Georgia, right, mm -hmm. to to flip Georgia blue, right, temporarily. Um, um, you know, is is it a, is it a for sure lockdown blue state moving forward? No, um, um, but you know, she made it her her strategy, and you know, and it wasn't you know, and it wasn't just Stacey, but Stacey deserves a lot of the credit, um, right? She was really the figure of of all of this. Um, um, but, you know, Stacey and all of those aligned organizations in Georgia that were doing the hard work um, um, were able to um, make Georgia um, highly competitive uh, and so that Democrats could win it on occasion. Yeah. Um, and I and I and this this could be replicated elsewhere. And, and the caller is right. This is exactly what um, Mr. Dean was um, calling for. Um, some years ago, um, and and I think that uh, we we need to we need to return to that in uh, in earnest. Yeah. Okay, Cal Muniz, uh, it was really great to have you here to talk about uh, your article, "Go Local, Young Democrat." Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Coming up, we are going to continue this conversation about Democrats vying for rural votes with Carol Glanville, who just beat her Republican opponent in a state house special election in Kent County, Michigan. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Anthony in Southwest to Terry in Detroit, Aaron and Jefferson Chalmers will get to you as well if you want to join them. 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Doesn't happen awful often, but sometimes Democrats are able to win in rural areas. Recently, Carol Glanville won in rural Kent County, Michigan, flipping a long-held Republican seat. And notably, Glanville won in a special election against an opponent who made really inflammatory statements against Jews and rape victims. But she still won. She is here with us now to talk more about how she won and her plans when she has to run again in the upcoming August primary and November general elections. Rep-elect Carol Glanville, thanks for joining us on Detroit Today. Oh, for sure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So uh, why do you think you were able to flip this Republican seat, uh, the 74th State House District? Tell us a little about that district and tell us what you did to convince them to vote Democratic. Yeah, so for those who don't know the district real well, um, I am on the west side of Grand Rapids and um, the about a third of the district is um, suburban ring cities for Grand Rapids, uh, Granville Walker and the rest of the district um, moves into some very rural uh, areas um, heading up north into past Rockford into Cedar Springs, Siloam Township, Tyrone Township. So um, yeah, it's it's an interesting, uh, well, and this is pre-redistricting, right? So it's a perfect example of why we needed redistricting because hmm. obviously um, the needs of the, there's two very disparate um constituencies within that district. Mm. Um, and so as I approached this um, election, knowing that it was a 39% Dem seat um, and there was, you know, it was deemed unwinnable um, for a Democrat, um, I just went out with my message of very common sense, community-centered uh, leadership and working on my experience uh, with the community. I was uh, uh, commissioner in the city of Walker for three years. Um, I've got a lot of community um, background involvement on different boards and, and nonprofit work and things like that. And also as an educator. So I know uh, community interests quite well. And I just went out with that message to talk to voters, um, you know, where they're at. Hmm. So uh, when you talked to these voters uh, mm -hmm. as a Democrat, was that something that they would front as uh, a concern of theirs? In other words, hey, you're a Democrat running in a community that elects Republicans. What you know? What are you doing on my doorstep, or what are you doing <laughs> at my church? Uh, was there a, a kind of open skepticism about about you? Um, I don't. You know, I never really felt that. Um, maybe a little bit from time to time, but I think people were more. Um, maybe a sense of wonder, like, oh, there's a Democrat here. <laughs> like, <laughs> we actually have wow. a candidate, right? <laughs> and I, yeah. And I heard um, one of your previous callers was um, kind of talking about how, um, you know, Democrats are are hiding sort of in plain sight. Um, and, you know, and I, and I get that feeling because my, even my campaigning went in Walker um, itself, my city, um, it's a very Republican area. Mm -hmm. And for me to go out and campaign, of course, it was a nonpartisan seat, but people can generally tell, you know, which way you're leaning by the topics that you tend to talk about. And um, it was, it was like a breath of fresh air for a lot of people to have a Democrat come and talk to them. Mm -hmm. So I have uh, seen a lot on social media and in some other places since mm -hmm. you won that really question the circumstances here, or, or I guess maybe put a lot on the circumstances here. Mm -hmm. Your opponent was was a pretty problematic mm -hmm. figure. He said some things that uh, um, that were really offensive and mm. um, and there are people who saying who are saying, well, that's why Carol Glanville was able to win and she won't be able to repeat that if we get a, a, a better candidate, a candidate who doesn't mm. make those mistakes. I wonder what your reaction is to that. 
Um, you know, that might, I mean, of course there's, there's truth to that, right? I mean, it's, he did make some very inflammatory comments that um, a lot of people were, uh, you know, had a, a pretty strong response to, mm-hmm. but the fact remains, this was not his first rodeo, right? This was the fourth time he's run for state house. Mm-hmm. Um, the Republican party, I mean, and if you look at his social media and his history, you don't have to even dig right, to find this information. So it, it's a little bit, and the, the problem I think here is that the Republican Party knew exactly who he was and um, really, you know, didn't do what they needed to do to keep him from getting through the primary. Mm. Um, and it just goes to show how the Republican Party in Michigan is really, you know, at least stymied by these extremists. Um, I mean, he should have never made it through the primary, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, and that was one of the things that gave me fire to win when I saw that he won and heard his comments. I just said, no, that that cannot happen. This cannot be the person that represents this area of Michigan. Um, so, and And is that part of the message that you think Democrats need to be more upfront with with voters saying, for instance, uh, you know, that the Republican Party, no matter what you think of their position on issues, mm-hmm. uh, has been, uh, you know, hijacked in, in some cases and in, in some instances by, uh, you know, people who represent pretty awful ideas and, mm-hmm. and thoughts, offensive things. Is that an opportunity, I guess, not just in the 74th, but uh, in other places? It is, but I wouldn't say that, I mean, the the Republican Party bears some responsibility, extremism aside, um, because when you look at the kind of legislation that even what you might call the mainstream Republican Party is trying to push through our state legislature right now, or, you know, the the voter, so-called voter integrity policies and laws, which are really just thinly veiled voter suppression. I, um, you know, I've heard a lot of people, you know, talking about the CRT and education. And so they're trying to get in there and and dictate curriculum or set up the um, conditions for uh, charter schools and private schools to be receiving public funding and things like this. So they're trying to undo public education. Um, they're attacking women's, not just women's, but all comprehensive reproductive health care right now. And so I think, you know, it, it's easy. It's maybe nice to say or easy for them to say, oh, that was an extremist. That's not us. But when you look at the um, issues that they're kind of talking about, well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> how separate is it? Um, and are we on a slippery slippery slope um, in in the wrong direction? Yeah, I, I want to take a couple of calls, and if you want to join us, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number. Let's go to Terry in Detroit. Terry, what's on your mind? Hi. Hey. Well, Stephen, I've had opportunities to speak to farmers in rural areas of Michigan, and I'm always delighted that they um, they support immigration reform. Farmers are acutely aware of, for example, mm. of the challenge of having the workers they need. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I feel like that's one of the issues that we can build a bridge. You were talking about building bridges. The other thing I just wanted to say real quick was I have a cottage in a not urban area. <laughs> and during the last election, my Biden sign in the front yard um, caused me to meet many of my neighbors. Many, many, many women stopped by and said, thank you for your sign. Mm. I'm so glad to see this. And so I do think there's a bunch of closeted Democrats all over the state of Michigan. Yeah. Maybe their uh, spouses are putting other signs in the yard, but some of the <laughs> spouses uh, you know, might feel differently. They're going and doing something else in the ballot box. Uh, Terry, I really appreciate the call and, and those points. Uh, Carol, I, I'm really curious about how the immigration issue plays in in your district, uh, in the rural parts of it, and whether you're seeing what, what Terry's seeing with farmers, for instance, supporting immigration reform. Yeah, I mean, we certainly need to support um, immigration um, and the workers who are coming to our to our rural areas and not just those areas, um, but just in general, um, you know, we, I think it is a place for us to build bridges. I appreciate Terry's point on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that we definitely need to have more conversations around in a sense, and again, getting away from the extremism of it, right? These people are not, let me be clear, they are not coming here in droves to commit crimes. They're coming here in droves 
to make money for their families and support a livelihood. I mean, you think about the reason somebody would leave their home for the complete unknown, not knowing the language, nothing, to come and work a hard scrabble job. That is a person who is just trying to survive. And we need to stop this, again, this ridiculous um, idea that people are coming to our country to undermine and attack us. I mean, they are coming here for the very same reasons that immigrants from other parts of the world came here in droves, uh, you know, a century ago. It it is Mm -hmm. identical other than uh, their, their ethnic, uh, their ethnic background. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, So Carol, quickly, I've got about 30 seconds left. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell me what your strategy looks like in the fall. Well, I'm going to keep doing what we're doing. It's a much friendlier seat for a Democrat. <laughs> so I think it's about 52% versus 40%. In, in the redraw, it's, it's a it's Yeah, a yeah. yeah. Um, but I really do feel like, I mean, people are ready. I mean, people, they want common sense. They want somebody who's going to talk to them about the issues that matter to them most in their quality of life and in their day-to-day. And they're tired. They're tired of this extremism. They're tired of the hate-mongering and the vitriol. And they just, you know, are looking for, I think, you know, like I said, just this common sense, community-centered leadership that I bring. Yeah. Okay, Carol Glanville, uh, thanks for joining us on Detroit Today. Sure, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. That is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow. We're going to talk to a Ukrainian novelist about preserving that country's culture during the Russian invasion. This is 1019 WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We will talk again tomorrow.